0: Welcome to the Evidence-Based Chiropractor, where each week we deliver the latest chiropractic research and marketing strategies, all in the time it takes to get to your office. Now here's your host, Dr. Jeff Langmaid. Hello and welcome to the Evidence-Based Chiropractor. I am your host, Dr. Jeff Langmade. This week we are back with research, a brand new study from pain physician. This one's titled, Prone Position MRI of the Lumbar Spine in Patients with Low Back Pain and or radiculopathy refractory to treatment. We can take a look at this, which basically analyzes the different positions that an MRI can be taken in and how it affects the results of what's seen on the image. Lots of good stuff in this study. Before we get started, I wanna say a few words about the payday practice. The payday practice is myself and Dr. Jason Deitch's new book. It came out as the number one new release on amazon in the chiropractic space thank you so much for everybody around the world quite literally who has picked up a copy the feedback we received has been awesome if you are looking to generate monthly recurring revenue in your practice the payday practice is for you it's a step-by-step guide we put it together it took us years to get this out there and i would just really really appreciate it it matters so much in the first few weeks anybody who picks up a paperback copy or if you'll go back on if you've picked up a copy and left a review i would greatly appreciate it massive gratitude because it helps so much during the first few weeks with a new book that came out so the payday practice is available on amazon right now pick yourself up a copy and i would be forever grateful but as i said at the top today's show we're talking mri and we're talking about the different positions mris are taken in and the differences, how it can impact the findings that are seen. And this is a story as old as time. If you've been in practice more than one day, you're going to resonate with what I'm about to say. And that is it's not unusual to see patients with moderate to severe low back pain. Some of them have radiculopathy, maybe some don't. And an MRI that looks clean. There are no findings. It's estimated, we dove into this deep in the personal injury world with the imaging company that uh, I'm a part owner of, and we found that up to 30% of patients have minimal findings on their MRI after a traumatic accident. Now, we hear the other side of that story a lot, that everybody has findings on an MRI and they don't necessarily correlate with pain. Also true, but many people come in and you see it all the time. They have minimal findings on an MRI. They might have radiculopathy. They have pretty bad pain. And everybody's kind of left saying, the patient's frustrated. I'm looking for a direction. As a doc, you look at that and it's difficult to make a clinical direction because the evidence just isn't there to showcase that there's a disc issue, that there's a stenosis issue. And it becomes a really challenged situation. Now, what happens often, I'm gonna say, especially if these people visit a primary care doctor first, they're typically scheduled for an intralaminar or transferaminal epidural steroid injection in the prone position and that's a problem we've talked about it multiple times on here but there are millions upon millions of esis delivered each and every year limited effectiveness very little utility not fda cleared for what they're used for it's off label and there's potential joint deterioration it stops the healing process at the bare minimum And it's just not a good treatment option, yet this happens all the time when there's minimal findings. And I'm saying especially in the primary care medical world, because if they would have saw a disc, it would have been the referral out to the surgeon to chop away the disc, quote unquote. But if there's minimal findings, well, what are we going to do? The answer is they should be going through movement-based care and referred into your practice. But quite often that's not happening. They end up on the table for an injection. So, you know, what does this study say? Well, limited improvement in these patients lasting only a few days or early relapse suggest, among other causes, causes, mechanical instability. So we're going to drive deep on that in this podcast, but they're citing it right here. You know, after somebody gets an injection, well, limited improvement in most of these patients might last a few days, early relapse. Potentially there's a mechanical or a biomechanical issue here. That's a big deal. Why? Because that's an area where we thrive now instability can live in a few different realms we discuss this a lot within aomz diagnostics which is a spinal imaging company that i'm involved in we do functional spinal imaging weight bearing through full flexion extension controlled and uncontrolled because of these exact issues surgical instability is one thing you know five millimeters or more of slippage there's really a potential for catastrophic injury to the spinal cord but When you have motion that's between 2.5 and 4.9, it's not surgical, but it's beyond normal. That's mechanical instability. And you think about how the vertebra sit. You have the IVF, and the top half of that IVF is the superior bone. The bottom half of that IVF, the intervertebral frame is the inferior bone. Well, what happens when there's instability, when there's translation of a millimeter or two? One of those half of the hole offsets on the other creates a pinch and that happens all the time. And you think about an IVF being maybe six millimeters in width, two millimeters of slide is a big deal. Two millimeters of slide is, you know, 25, 30 percent of that IVF is taken just like that. Three millimeters, you might have 50 percent of that IVF being crunched as somebody's going through motion or underweight bearing that's not being picked up on. And quite often, I'm going to say it will never be picked up on with an MRI because it's not weight bearing, it's not functional. And quite often they're taken in the, what I'll just generally say, I guess is the wrong position. So when you look at the clinical condition of these patients, many don't report pain when they're in the supine position. And some patients even experience improvement when they're in the supine position. So this study doesn't get into the functional spinal imaging with vertebral motion analysis that we do at AOMZ, but it does get into prone versus supine on the mri side of things so segmental lumbar motion it's usually evaluated through as we kind of discussed flexion extension films what's the problem with flexion extension films well historically we've seen Punjabi and white say there's actually no utility in flexion extension films why because of a few different things one is because you're missing so much of the information between neutral, flexion, and extension. Those are three moments in time. You're missing there's a 30% false negative rate, meaning 30% of the people that have no findings on flexion extension actually do have excessive translation. It's just not picked up. Why? Because it's only three moments in time instead of like a vertebral motion analysis, a full image of every moment, a video of what's going on every step of the way. The other is that it's uncontrolled. We've all had this, you know, patient, can you bend your head forward, take the flexion? And they stay in exactly the same position as they are neutral. I am, you know, can you bend back? They move their head, you know, 0.2 centimeters. I am, you're just not getting a great data set. So you want controlled and uncontrolled bending. And you definitely want to have the opportunity to see everything that occurs, not just your endpoints. So segmental instability is defined as, as they say, vertebral body subluxation, excessive motion of motion of more than three millimeters or sagittal angulation, angulation, transla- translation, discite, three important things here, subluxation, translation of more than three millimeters or sagittal angulation. Of 15 to 25 degrees so this study aimed to say well if we go prone and we go supine with the MRI what happens so patients suffering from chronic to severe low back pain with or without radiculopathy that had not responded to conventional treatments multimodal care physical therapy interventional epidural blocks facet blocks radiofrequency ablation that was what was included in the study they did have to have a numerical Rating scale, pain scale, an NRS score of greater than four. So the inclusion criteria were moderate to severe chronic low back pain, supine MRI, a normal dynamic X-ray. So a normal flexion extension X-ray, 30% false negative, right? Uh, Also poor response to treatments and pain worsening during epidural distension and in the prone position. So they're trying to see what's going to go on when somebody goes from prone to supine couple other things before we get into the exact data is they really wanted to standardize the nomenclature of disc pathology. I think this is just good information uh, because bulges, herniations, protrusions, extrusions, most of the time we use them interchangeably. Some great, great take-home clinical pearls right here. They define disc bulging as circumferential enlargement of the disc, which could be symmetrical or asymmetrical. Disc herniation was a disc protrusion or extrusion from a focal bulge, generally greater than three millimeters outside of the vertebral margin. A disc protrusion was an eccentric herniation with a wide base connection with the disc, in any plane with the greatest possible distance between the margins of the disc material protruding from the margin of the disc space less than the distance between the margins of the base. Any extrusion was an eccentric focal bulge that retains a thin, pedicle connecting to the disc probably a lot easier to see those in pictures so we'll drop a link to the study in the show notes but that is how they define these Uh, i felt good about myself reading it because that's how i've traditionally defined these but a bulge is broad a herniation is focal a protrusion is a variation of a herniation and an extrusion is that ship is about to sail and just about to become a fragment that's how i would define it So they measured a few different things in terms of what was going on. They measured the spinal canal area. Is there stenosis? Not stenosis. They measured ligamentum flavum area, ligamentum flavum sitting in that canal. We see that become hypertrophic quite often. I would see that on MRIs all day, every day. That causes a crunch. We also measured lateral recess diameters, that space between the spinal cord and the the foramen, so to speak. It's that corner or that junction point, as well as the intervertebral foramen area. So that's what they measured. Conventional measurements, great measurements, important measurements. Who are the people in the study? They were about forty eight point seven years old with a mean pain rating of six point five. And in the prone position, six cases of 19 were found to have herniated discs that could not be assessed in the supine position on the prone images they identified significant buckling and increased ligamentum flavum thickness in 10 of 19 patients that they did not see on the supine MRIs. 26% had newly discovered degrees of spondy and facet joint issues that resulted in significant foraminal stenosis in the prone position. So long story short with this, These results indicated that a certain degree of segmental instability, mainly linked to soft tissue and non-bony elements of the spinal cord, are visualized when you do supine-prone imaging, as opposed to just one. To the best of their knowledge, this was the first clinical study that correlates MRI findings with the patient's symptomatology, otherwise unexplainable by conventional MRI, thus, because it's uh, symptomatic, minimizing the false negative rate of conventional MRI and the false positive rate of studies performed without clinical correlation. They say the most striking finding is the high incidence of thickening, folding or buckling of the ligamentum flavum observed in almost half of the patients. This may contribute to both global canal and recess symptomatic stenosis. There is no question about that. What are the take home messages here? The take home messages are positioning when taking imaging matters this was looking at prone versus supine in my opinion getting people weight bearing and in motion is the best way outside of the study but it is the best way to analyze what's going on in the spine because you just do it in a way that's can't be done otherwise and when we look at these studies as well there's two components and we touched on it that's touched on this at the top but i want to come back around to it and that's Often MRIs get a bad rap as being overutilized. Are they or are they not? The conversation for a different day. Often MRIs are also criticized for having findings. And this is a challenging thing. I think we've all had patients that they have as this study highlighted early on, they have symptomatology and no findings. You're sitting there scratching your head. On the other side of the equation, you see people that come in with one or two out of 10 pain and that you receive a 27-page report that you know it basically is breaking down the challenges on every level. When I, and both are true, <laughs> that's the challenge. But the way I described it to a patient is I used to say, the MRI report is like putting a deck of playing cards all spread out across the table. Those are all of the not perfects. Everything in your report is gonna tell you every single thing that is not perfect with your spine. But there is a big difference between a not perfect and a problem. And my job is to help identify the problems amongst all of the not perfects it is a simple explanation it's a true explanation and it's a clear explanation that patients don't need to people don't need to be super concerned with every finding on their mri there's a normal aging process that goes on you're under gravity you get injured these things happen but there is a break even point where there, amongst often those challenge, those not perfects are the problem. Your job, my job, our job as chiropractors is to evaluate that patient beyond the imaging, correlate their symptomatology with what's on the imaging and help give the best direction moving forward. And if we do that, we're going to do wonders for the health of our community and for the clinical management of our patients. Why? If you rewind this about 10 minutes ago, you'll remember when people are getting care, like uh, according to their MRI in many other medical facilities, it is off to the injection table. And if they see a disc injury, it is off to the chopping block. It is time for surgery. Not only are both of those interventions highly overdone, I'm gonna say in many cases, they have limited effectiveness. People need to have movement-based care. That is how they're going to get well. That is how they're going to stay well. And we need to tell that story time and time again because it is not told enough. So great study, great findings. I'll drop that link down below. Before we wrap up, I want to say a few words about Power Step. Power PowerStep orthotics are what I use myself. If you have not picked up a free sample pair yet, you are doing yourself a disservice. As listener of the Evidence-Based Chiropractor Podcast, they're willing to hook you up. Head to pro.powerstep.com sample pro.powerstep.com sample. Use the code EBC for evidence-based chiropractor, EBC. They will hook you up with a free pair. I'll drop that link down below. Grab a pair. Why not? Check it out. I like them. My dad uses them. Check them out. They support us. We'll ask you to support them and they're willing to give you a free pair. So there is a great place to get started. Additionally, if you're looking to build and grow your practice this year and you're looking to add on an associate doctor or a CA, don't go it alone based on gut. This is why Docs stress out and have high turnover because you don't hire every day. Who does hire every day? Chiro Matchmakers has hired for over 500 chiropractors, DCs and CAs by using behavioral assessments, cognitive assessments and a proven process to get it done right. You don't need to waste your time or energy. We say internally, we see it all the time. Hiring the right person can generate seven figures for your practice over time. Hiring the wrong person is a six figure mistake. Why make that mistake? kyromatchmakers.com If you're looking for an opportunity, we have over a hundred available DC positions out there across the United States and really the world right now. So you can head over to kyromatchmakers.com Or if you're looking to hire a DC or CA, even if you're early on in the process, hook up with one of our recruiting specialists, ask some questions, get in the loop. We are here to be a resource and to help you each and every step of the way. So I hope you have a fantastic week in practice and I will talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us on this episode of The Evidence-Based Chiropractor. If you want to grow your practice, come back for next week's episode. If you want to grow faster, visit TheEvidenceBasedChiropractor.com and join our MD Marketing Membership today.